All right, come on, one more time. We can all celebrate that together. I appreciate the fact that uh, some of you demonstrated a joy, a willingness to just clap all the way through that thing because that's what we should do. We love celebrating baptisms around here. And I think it's so amazing. Every one of those stories is unique in that a background that is attached to all the circumstances in a person's life, uh, the uniqueness of how Jesus gets to each one. And yet, at the same time, every one of those stories is the same in the sense that it is only by God's grace through faith in Jesus that they are now adopted into God's family, fully forgiven, and completely accepted. A few weeks ago, we celebrated a baptism with some unique circumstances. Her name is Kelly, and she has given me um, permission to share some of those circumstances with you today. Um, Kelly has MS, and one of the physical struggles for her uh, is, is her leg. Um, without a brace on her leg, her legs move in extremely painful ways. And it's in these kind of moments that when I hear some of you tell me your reasons for struggling with being baptized, even though you know you should, these are the moments that I pray for God's grace that I can look back at you with patience, and yet on the inside, I'm thinking, really? Because the courage that Kelly brought to the table, she said, it's time. I trust Jesus, and I'm ready to be baptized. But the question was, how do we make that work, getting her in the water? And so I asked some men to help us. And uh, there were actually two men who were on the, the outside of the baptistry that lifted Kelly up to the edge. And then there were two more men who were inside the baptistry in the water. They got behind her and, and, and the other to take her legs and to lift her down into um, that baptistry. Um, we used the screen that day to hide all that so that it really wasn't a, a show. We, the screen was down. We sang some songs. The screen went up. We baptized her. The screen went down. And then the, the process reversed in order to get her out of the water. And I'm telling you, from back there, it was absolutely beautiful. And as I'm watching this unfold, my mind shifted to a story. A story that was told a long time ago of four men who did what was necessary literally to lift their friend toward Jesus. That's the story that I want to share with you today. It's found in Mark chapter 2. First, I want to say welcome. I want to say welcome to everybody at our campuses today. I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Thanks for taking the time allowing us to be together today. Um, I hope you're doing good. You should be doing good right now. This weather, right, is getting fall, right? It's, it's feeling good. You should be doing good. The Chiefs are 1-0, right? 
And I'm not saying it out loud, but I'm thinking it. We might have a running game. Might have a running game, thanks to a tiger in the background, right? I'm just, I'm just saying, life is good. Oh, and last night, my, my three-year-old granddaughter told me God made donuts. God made donuts because she associates everything good with the fact that God made them. And if you try to convince her that there might be a hole in her theology, she will simply reply, yes, Papa, donuts have holes and God made donuts. I'm just saying life is good. But life isn't always that good, is it? Because sometimes life hurts. And such is the story for one man in Mark chapter 2. Let me read his story, and then we'll talk about it this morning. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, Take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Last week, as we turned the pages of the New Testament, we began to look at a word that was associated with Jesus and how he sees people. You remember what that word was? It's the word compassion. And we learn that this word compassion with Jesus is more than just a simple feeling. This is this, is this gut-churning, right, feeling. It, it's something deep that when Jesus sees people, this is how he responds. Well, next week, you're going to see that word resurface. In fact, for several weeks in a row, we're going to see this picture of compassion. And so it's almost like God's going, hey, I, I want you to zero in on this right now. So today... I want us to view each angle of this story from a perspective of compassion. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start with the paralyzed man. 
We're told in verse 3 that he was carried by four of them. And then we're told in verse 11, take your mat and go home. And so we're given a a, a really clear picture of of what this would have been like for him. Um, we, We can try to visualize what it would have been like in his day. A man uh, attached to a mat. Now, I'm saying I think this mat for me, when I read the story, represents something that this man wishes he wasn't tied to, but he is. I'm saying even more than you try to put it in our day and we say, well, it'd be like being in a wheelchair. Well, a little bit like that, but with a wheelchair you can sort of move some on your own. Uh, maybe crutches, we would say today, right? His, his legs are, but, but even with crutches, with, with a little bit of strength, you can move on your own. This mat represented the fact he's totally dependent. Totally dependent on somebody to take him wherever he's going to go. And the mode of transportation for him is this mat. You, you got to know that this man at times in his life woke up in the morning, he sees that mat and he just despises the fact that he is tied to it. He's paralyzed. I want to ask you today, do you know what it's like Uh, Do you know what it it feels like to be paralyzed in life? Now, I'm not talking about physical paralysis. I'm talking beyond that. Do you know what it's like to feel trapped in life? Um, Maybe it's a mistake that you made in the past. And the guilt of that mistake confines you. Maybe it's someone's decision to hurt you that now there is in you an anger that you just cannot seem to escape. Maybe it's a a loss. Maybe the loss of someone that you love and the grief, the grief that you experience. in, In a way, I'm saying it feels like you wake up every morning and it's sort of like that mat. It's just like, man, this is, I'm attached to this. I can't escape this. And it feels like it just has me trapped and I can't move forward anywhere. We are reminded today in this most amazing story of what we started to see last week Compassion will not overlook those who hurt. Compassion will not overlook those who hurt. Jesus brings healing to this man, and not just healing the pain in his legs, but also the sin in his heart. And I want us to start right there today. I want you to know the same can be true for you. In fact, I can tell you that when you place a faith in Jesus, I I can absolutely declare to you, he will heal you physically. He will. Now, I'm not telling you he always heals you physically in this life. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he still does. 
But I am declaring to you that he always heals you completely for a life that is forever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm telling you today, if you find yourself paralyzed by grief or fear or pain of any kind, today I'm encouraging you to take a long look at who Jesus is because he has compassion on you and he wants to bring healing to your life that is more than skin deep. It is deeper than the nervous system. He wants to heal soul deep. Compassion from the perspective of a paralyzed man. Let me show you another one. How about we take a look at the friends in this story? There's an interesting phrase that we're given that when Jesus saw their faith, I'm convinced that too much we downplay the effect of our faith in other people's lives. Jesus followers tend to do that, especially in our culture. It's such an individualistic culture. Everybody tends to play the game like it's really just between me and God. And so we downplay the impact of our faith on somebody else. But what you can't deny in this story is that it says Jesus does a work in this man's life and it is connected to the faith that he sees in four friends. I want to challenge you to take some time to think about it today. Who in your life does Jesus want to do a work of grace in, a work of hope in, a work of healing in because of your presence in their life? Who in your life needs help finding their way to Jesus and you are the instrument in the room that he wants to use to do that. I'm saying when you think of that person, their face comes to your mind, then the question is, what's blocking the way? What's blocking the way? They need Jesus. You know how to get to him. What's blocking the way? Here's the question I want you to consider. Do you know what it feels like to want to do whatever it takes to connect people to Jesus? Do you know what that feels like? These these four guys, they get to the house and the house is packed, right? They're, They're trying to get through the doorway and the doorway is absolutely jammed with people. But they are so set on introducing their friend to Jesus. They, they say, we got to come up with something. We can't get through the door. So before you know it, they're on top of the house. They're, they're tearing pieces off the roof and they're lowering their friend through the ceiling so that he could get to Jesus. I think it was the famous preacher Spurgeon When commenting on Mark chapter 2, he made this statement. He said, faith is inventive. Real faith is inventive. By all means necessary, I got to get my friend, my family, my mom, my dad, my kids, my neighbors, my world to Jesus. And I'll do whatever it takes to get there. I want you to see today from the perspective of the friends, compassion leads to inventive faith. 
Compassion leads to inventive faith. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I'll become all things to all people so that by any means necessary, I might save some. And my question is, is that your attitude in life? Because you need to know it is a measure of faith. It's inventive, it's adaptable, it's nimble, like raising the roof when necessary. Who in your life needs Jesus, and will you raise the roof for them? Sometimes we're willing to get a little crazy to do that. This is proof for me this week. You like that? No, I'm not putting it on. Not today, because that's all some of you will do right now is post that, send it out while we're doing it. I'll I'll put it on later. I I was proud, though. Um, Some of you know, we talked about this for several weeks now. We got several groups of people who are in different towns right now or or literally just connecting even house to house with people, neighborhood to neighborhood with people. And uh, for example, um, in Harrisonville behind the vault on Wednesday evenings from 5.30 to 6.30, we're just doing a a free family meal. Um, People can stop by, they can pick up that meal and take it home. They can, we got tables out there, they can sit down and and enjoy that. Um, and, And you know what I have been shocked at? How many people are coming? And what I've been even more shocked at, how many people stay and visit. Just the ability to have conversations. When we found some of these hot dog suits last week, somebody said, hey, should we get some of those? I'm like, yeah, we should get some of those. But deep down inside, I'm thinking there's no way we're gonna get anybody to wear one of these. Five minutes in on Wednesday evening, we had more, we, people were fighting to wear hot dog suits, right? We, we had more people willing to put on hot dog suits than we had hot dog suits. They stand out on the, on the side of the road and just welcome signs and encouraging people and just having fun with it. And so, uh, come on, I, I'm, I'm, when I see this, when I see this, it, it is simply the reminder for me what Jesus desires to build in us is this attitude of whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll put on a hot dog suit and stand on the sidewalk, but you know why? It's not just to pass out a free meal. It's, yeah, to maybe help some with the stress that people may be going through, but even more than that, it's about connections. It's about relationships. It's about the opportunity for us to to, to share with one another, this is who Jesus is and this is how he loves and he has greater compassion for you than you can even imagine. Compassion leads to inventive faith. I want to remind you today that when you have such faith, the Bible says Jesus sees it. It says he honors it. I love the fact that when they come through the roof, Jesus doesn't shut them down. He doesn't say, hey, I'm talking here. Hey, I'm trying to try teach here. No, he, he makes time even in the middle of a crowded room. If you know someone who has 
yet to really meet Jesus, and you have started to find yourself losing heart, the thinking of, is it really worth all these prayers and all these tears and all this toil and all this effort, my challenge today is keep pressing on. Keep praying on. Keep hoping on. Because here's what I know. Jesus loves your friend more than you do. He loves your spouse more than you do. He loves your child more than you do. He loves them more than you do. He wants to bring about a work of redemption in their life. His will is that none should perish. But it might be you that he's going to call to raise the roof. Let's keep going. How about the crowd? The crowd is interesting to me. It says in verse 2, they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. Not even outside the door. So come on, we got a big crowd. We got lots of people. They cannot get inside. But it says by the end, verse 12, this amazed everyone. So Jesus does the miracle. The man walks. It amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I'm telling you, I think that is an amazing response. Jeff, why do you think that's an amazing response? Jesus did a miracle. I, I think it's an amazing response, and you would understand that if you've ever been to, oh, the DMV. Yeah, you've been there too. When you go to the DMV, you walk into the room and you see millions of people there, right? Always millions of people there. And what do you do? You take a number. I am number 834. And you wait patiently as you hear the next number called, number 17. And you realize only 817 more spots and you're there, right? Right? I'm saying I, I want you to get that perspective. Jesus is in the house. He's teaching. People are showing up. They're trying to get to him. There's no room that even everybody can get in. There's a line that's formed outside the door. There's a a crowd outside the door. And this dude jumps the line. Now, at the DMV, I might be like 817 spots away, but whoever comes in after me, they ain't getting in front of me. Because I got, I got this number, there, right? Whoever comes in after me, they're, they're not getting in front of me. This dude jumps the line on that day. You know we're not good with people jumping the line. And I don't necessarily think they were in that day either. Here's where I'm going with this. Do you know what it feels like to see God work in the lives of others while you are still waiting for him to work in your life? You're like, hey, 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 they just jumped a line. 
Like I'm asking God to do something. I'm asking God for an answer. I'm asking God for a miracle. I think I I need him to do this. And all of a sudden, he gives somebody else an answer. He works in somebody else's life. I'm going, hey, 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 hey. Dude, you jumped the line. But I I want us to see to the crowds on that day, Jesus gives them an opportunity not to wallow in their envy or their jealousy or their bitterness because somebody, right, cut in line. Instead, he gives them the chance to offer all that they are and all that they have in this moment of worship, in this moment of praise. We get a picture of compassion here. Compassion puts others before self. It does. Compassion puts others before self. Here's what I'm encouraging you today. If you are frustrated because of your lot in life right now, I'm saying you need, it feels like, God to do a particular thing and you're watching God work in the lives of others and you don't know why it looks like they've jumped the line. Today, I want to encourage you to look up and take a look around at what God might be doing. It just might be that he is doing something so wild and so amazing, something like you have never seen is what this story says. It may be that you need to get your eyes off yourself and onto some people around you to be reminded it is not the fact that God can't, It is simply a fact that for some reason he has not yet done in your life what you want him to do. But if he's good, which he is, either eventually he's going to do it or eventually there's going to be a day that you look back and go, oh, yeah, that's better than even what I knew how to ask for. Either way, what helps us in the middle is to get our eyes off ourselves and to see what God's doing around us, to lift our heart and encourage us, be reminded that God is still in control and he is still doing things like we have never seen. Let's keep going. There's another group there that day. I'm going to call them the scribes. In the, in the scripture, in verse 6, it, it refers to them as teachers of the law, okay? Now, the, there were some teachers of the law who were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow, that's Jesus, talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I think this one might be a little harder for us to imagine. And the reason is because we tend to write these guys off when we read the New Testament. We write off the scribes. We write off the Pharisees. The reason being, we, we, we just can't imagine putting ourselves in the shoes of the bad guys. And we always interpret these guys as the bad guys. But what's funny is, in this story, on this day with this crowd, nobody there, nobody there, knows their Bible better than the scribes. Nobody there knows their Bible better than the scribes. 
If there were some other object I would be attaching to this today, it would be a Bible and maybe a graduation cap. Because these dudes have done their homework, they have done their study, they have passed the the, the classes, they know their stuff when it comes to the scripture. So when they say, no man can forgive sins, only God can forgive sins, they're right. They're right. That's what it said. The problem is, They're staring into the eyes of Jesus who is fully man but he's also fully God and they know this but they just cannot yet believe that he is God. Here's where compassion takes us I think with the scribes. Do you know what it feels like to be certain of something only to be told that you are wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know what it like, like whatever your field of expertise is and you're like, you know how to do what you know how to do, but, but what happens when, when you are suddenly confronted that what you are an expert is suddenly you're wrong. And my question is, how do you typically respond in those moments, right? When anything or anyone becomes a threat to your pre-existing paradigm, right? Are you typically quick to be willing to let go of that? Or are you typically quick to to take hold of something new and, and rethink what you've once held to because new data has entered the room? Or do you tend to cling more tightly to what you've always thought? I'm saying that's what it's like for the scribes that day. Compassion understands the struggle that occurs when truth collides with what you have always believed. It's one of my favorite parts of dealing with this story. Compassion understands the struggle that occurs when truth collides with what you've always believed. That's what's happening to the scribes. What they've always believed, only God can forgive sin. That is true. The deal is God's standing in front of them. My question is, if if you don't have compassion for people like this, then what do you think that might reveal about your scribe-like tendencies? Because instead of writing them off, And instead of perpetuating a cancel culture in some way, Jesus engages them. Do you notice that? He engages the scribes. In fact, I'm going to go further than that and tell you a part of why Jesus seems to heal this man physically is the scribes. He sees the faith of the four friends. He sees the faith of the paralyzed man. But there's also a line in the story where Jesus is saying, look, what do you think is easier, to forgive sin or tell people to get up and walk? He goes, but so that you will know. Who's he talking to? It's the scribes. They're the ones who just pushed back. They're the ones who are saying, who do you think you are? He says, so that you will know. Man, get up. How cool is that? That Jesus would do that for the very people who are doubting him. 
Can I tell you something? If you are that so-called expert that you're the person right now who pushes back when anything about Jesus is said to you, I want you to hear me. Jesus will not write you off. If you're the person right now who's pushing back because somebody's sharing the truth of who Jesus is with you, I'm telling you, Jesus will not write you off. And he will continue to pursue your heart. If you're dealing with someone who is a so-called expert, so some of you right now, you could tell me stories. You're like, I'm trying to share who Jesus is with my, with my parent. I'm trying to share who Jesus is with my friend. But you know what? They, they've got this mindset, and, and they just push back. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus didn't write them off, and I'm encouraging you, don't you write them off because compassion understands what it's like to always think one way but then to be confronted with this truth that shakes up your world. Compassion doesn't just say, well, I told you. No, compassion tends to love. It continues to love. It continues to reach. It continues to listen. That's good stuff. I got one more. One more part of the story that I think most of the time tends to get overlooked, and it is the angle of the homeowner. Somebody owns this house. And there's a little line in verse 4, they made an opening in the, in the roof. Can, can we admit that that's, that's not like a, a simple deal? I mean, we, we immediately want to go, well, look, their roofs in that day were not made out of the same stuff that our roofs are made out of today. And I'm saying, I understand that, but it also wasn't Velcro, right? This wasn't a Velcro roof, <laughs> rip it off and then just put it back. There's, there's materials involved, right? And, and I'm saying it, it was probably more than a cap, right, that day. You had to have a hole big enough for four guys to be able to, 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 to right, let a guy be put through the roof. Somebody, it's their roof. Somebody's got to clean up that mess. Somebody's got to fix what's broken. Somebody's got to pay for that. Do, do you know what it feels like to be inconvenienced because of somebody else's need? When I say inconvenienced, I mean it typically costs. Sometimes it costs you resources. It almost always costs you time. As I imagine this scene through the eyes of a homeowner, I'm confronted with my own tendency at times to want to be on mission for Jesus, but I want to be on mission on my terms. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I want people to meet Jesus, but I, I prefer that they would do that on my allotted time. I, I prefer that that could happen with my particular gifting. I, pre, I prefer that that would happen in the particular area that I want it to. And I am reminded that this Christian life is about leveraging all that we have and all that we do and all that we are for this mission. Compassion is willing to pay the price to help. It might be money. 
It might be our most precious commodity of time. Meeting needs always cost. On this day, a homeowner pays a price. Now, I want you to consider one more factor connected to this homeowner. I'm going to just challenge your thinking. If you go back to verse 1, this is how our story started. It said, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, I'm going to tell you, you do your homework, you look it up, but when you actually go to the language here, this word in the Greek language means more than hometown. That's not what the word is. The word is literally house. It it, it literally reads that Jesus is in the house. And so I'm saying that when you, when you do the, the research and you look at what commentators say, some people think it might be Peter's house. Some people think it could be Mary's house or Matthew's house. But there are also those who raise the question, could this actually be Jesus' house? And, and we go, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't have a house, right? Because Jesus had no place to lay his head, right? That's, that's one of the phrases that we see in Scripture. And I'm, I'm saying that's right. But come on, he had a house when he was growing up, all right? Can we, can we, when, when, he's, when he's, Joseph is a carpenter, Jesus learns those carpenter skills. We are very early in, in Jesus' public ministry. Now, I'm saying to you, by the time the next several months and even the, the, the last three years of Jesus' public ministry, he is so on the move. It is obvious that he's not staying at, at, a, at a house, even if it's his, he's not. But at this point in his life, it is possible that the house Jesus would have lived in up until this point, would there be a place where he would work from? Would there be a place that, he, that Mary could be taken care of? It, I'm just saying, when we get to heaven, we'll ask. And even if it's not Jesus' house, it is the place where when Jesus comes home, this is what he calls home. You get that? When Jesus comes home, this, this is where he comes home. So maybe it belongs to somebody close to him. I'm saying whatever the case is, this is a house where he relaxes. This is a house where he rests. So here he is coming back home. Come on, you know what that's like. Been working, you've been traveling, you're just ready to kick back. Here comes the people, and here comes the needs. And you know what Jesus does? He opens the door. He opens the door. In this moment of finally, I can catch my breath. Here comes the people, and here comes the need. And he welcomes that inconvenience. He welcomes a paralyzed man who's, who's asking to be healed. He welcomes uh, criticism of the scribes who want to question what he's saying and what he's doing. He, he welcomes damage to, to a roof. I'm saying whether it's his or whether it belongs to somebody really, really close to him, 
He welcomes the inconvenience, and he did all of that for everybody else at great cost to himself. And they don't know it yet at this point, but we know it now. Oh, he would go much further than simply disassembling a roof. He would allow himself to be broken. He would allow himself to be crucified through heartache and loss and separation from God to death until finally a resurrection. Life over death so that we might all find our healing and hope in him. That imagery I can't get away from when I read this story. At some point, Jesus opened the door. He's, he's at a house, they hear, and he opens the door. That, that imagery continues through the New Testament. One of the places that we see it, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. When I hear Jesus talk about the gate there, this is the imagery for me. I have these around my house because I have grandchildren. These are safety gates, and they look a lot of different ways. They got different doors on them, the way you release them, and, you know, but basically the point is you can, you can lock it. You can close the gate, and they can't fall down the stairs, right? You, you can close the gate, and they, they can't get in an area where they get their hands on something that's, that's going to hurt them. When I read this text of Jesus describing himself as the gate, this is the image that I have. He, he's, he is the father, right, who, who absolutely loves his children to a degree that goes fo- so far beyond what, what we even know how to comprehend. He goes, look, I am the gate, the only gate to salvation. And we know that's true. We know the Bible says that there's no other way. There's no other way. And thank God, that's not restrictive. That actually opens the door to us all. When Jesus says, I'm the only way, it's the point of you can't earn this. None of us can earn this. This is not about how many hoops can you jump through, how many good deeds can you do. No, Jesus says, I'm the way. I open the door. When you put your faith in me, that's where you find forgiveness of sin, and that's where you find salvation. But I also love in that text that he says, where where you, you, you come in and out. Right? We don't often think about the language that day, but this is like the picture of a shepherd in that day, and the sheep would come in for the night to be safe, but then they would go back out to pasture. And it's this picture of Jesus saying, look, I'm the gate. Not only do I open the gate that you enter the kingdom of God, but I'm the gate in the sense of as you come and go, everything about your life, I got you. I got you. I'm the only way that you will be completely secure. You'll never have enough money to do that. You'll never be healthy enough to do that. I'm the only way that you will be completely secure. I am your gate. He said, come on, there is an enemy who wants to wipe you out. He doesn't just want to trip you up. He wants to take you out. But Jesus said, I am the gate. 
that gives you life that is full and life that is eternal. That is my testimony. How about you? This morning, we, for some of you, we learned a, a new song. Um, it, it is a, a song that has in it this line that I haven't been able to get away from. The miracle I can't get over is that my name is registered in heaven. That ought to be the thing when we come together every week that makes our hearts sing, makes our soul shout. My name is registered in heaven. Grace has rewritten my story. I have moved from death to life. I want you to get on your feet in this moment. We're going to sing it one more time today. And I want this to be our declaration and us recognizing. Listen to me, listen to me. We got a mission. It is a mission to testify. And the mission is not only to testify, this is what God has done in my life. But it is also the mission to testify, this is what I have seen God do through my life in the lives of others. People who are hurting, people who simply need compassion, people who simply need to know somebody cares and somebody's listening. God can do that in all kinds of ways. Will you be willing to pay a price? Will you be willing to be inconvenienced? Will you be willing to raise the roof? He's that good. He's that good.